Masechet Chagiga Daf Vav. We have three topics today. Uh, first, we're going to have three questions to Betilel and Bet Shammai regarding the age of children to bring. Then we're going to bring proofs for each side about how much money for Olot versus Shalamim. And then we're going to spend the rest of the daf asking, were there Olot brought at Hadassinai? So we're going back to the Mishnah. The last two clauses of the Mishnah, the second to last was, how old is a Katan? The last one is about money. Regarding Katan, we saw two opinions. Bet Shammai says, if a child is so young that he cannot even ride on the shoulders of his, of his father, then he does not have to. But if he's old enough, then he would have to. Uh, well, that's about, I don't know, one year old. A uh, one-year-old, as long, you know, a, a, a newborn is too floppy, can't hold, hold his head up. But uh, between one and two, uh, would have the father would have to carry the, the, the boy on his shoulders. Betilel says, no, a little bit older, as long as he can walk, even if not so steady, and the father has to hold his hand. So that's probably like two years old, uh, would have to uh, bring his son to uh, uh, up to Jerusalem, to the Bet HaMikdash, and bring a korban. All right, that was the Machloket Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel. And now we're going to ask a question that actually applies to both of them. That was and so on. has a question. Who brought him all the way to Jerusalem? The question is assuming that the mother didn't come because the mother is not chayevet. Uh, so uh, the father brought the child. Let's say they live in Modi'in. Okay, so the father brought the child from Odi'in to Yerushalayim. Well, uh, how did he get there? Obviously, he can walk. I mean, you don't expect he can, uh, the father carried him the whole way. And after all, any child who was under two years old, generally uh, children back then would uh, be nursed until around two years old. So they wouldn't be able to go anywhere uh, without their mother before two years old. So therefore, there's no need to say that a child who cannot be carried or cannot walk uh, with the help of his, of his father is Patur, because they can't even make it to Jerusalem. Uh, n- n- never mind going from the, the, the city wall up to the Bet HaMikdash. That's the question. Rabbi says, your assumption was incorrect that the mother doesn't come. Actually, generally, the mother would come. The whole family would come because it says, right? You and your family have to rejoice. So women, although women are, are uh, exempt from bringing a korban, they don't have to bring the korban, but, but part of the joy of the holiday is to all be together and all show up in Jerusalem. So therefore, the mother would come even with, the, with their, her infants and so she would be uh, bringing them while nursing. And so that's not the problem. Uh, so the mother brought them from wherever they live to Jerusalem. From then forward, that is the question. So if the child can walk, even if it's not steady, according to Betilel, um, around two years old, would have to come uh, uh, if, uh, if the child cannot walk at all, even with the help of his father, then according to Betila does not have to, according to Bet Shemai would have to if he can carry on, his, uh, carry on his shoulders. Okay, fantastic. And now we learned this really important halacha that women actually would be chayavot uh, to come to Jerusalem uh, to celebrate, even though they don't have to bring a korban. 
Okay, now the Biudan I see is going to ask a question on behalf of Betilel. They actually are from the same uh, family of the Nasi, so it makes sense he wants to uh, defend Betilel's honor. Hana did not come to the Mishkan in Shiloh because she told her husband, no, I want to wait until the child is weaned. So that means that's about two years old. That means when the child was, let's say, 18 months old, 18 month old can ride on his father's shoulders. And yet she did not bring him. The child did not come. So, and so this is a challenge to Bet Shamai. According to Bet Hillel, it makes sense because Bet Hillel would say around two years old is when a child can start walking. So, and that's when, it, that's when the child is also weaned. So therefore we can assume that when the child was weaned and that's the same time he can walk. So according to Bet Hillel, the, uh, uh, Shemuel did come. Uh, when he was two years old, according to Bet Shammai, that it's uh, after one year old uh, can be carried. How come Hana did not bring him? That's the question. Amale Avu, Rebu Danasi's father answered him. Okay, well, he's also from the same line, but so nevertheless, uh, he is uh, defending. He's, he's defending Bet Shammai. It says, I have, a, according to your reasoning, what about Hana? She also has to come to Jerusalem, although she doesn't have to bring a korban. Uh, nevertheless, she would have to come as part of the holiday to come and celebrate together with the family. Rather, Hana did not come because she was pampering Shemuel. She was very concerned about him. She was overprotective of Shemuel uh, that he might uh, become sick on the way, and she didn't want to take any risks. Uh, we could understand her. After all, she was she waited many many years to have a child, and also maybe she. Who knows, maybe the uh, uh, baby Shemuel had some weakness or didn't feel well, and therefore uh, she stayed home. The, the baby, would, she wouldn't want to take the baby, so she had to stay home as well to nurse uh, baby Shemuel, and that's why she didn't go. But otherwise, she would have to, and so therefore that defends Bet Shammai. Because if, if the child was healthy, then uh, the mother would come and then the father would take the, 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 the even the in, infant child as long as he can go on the shoulders to, uh, to the Mishkan or to Harabait. And so therefore, there was no challenge to Bet Shammai. Okay, third question, which is a question to both. An adult who has a bad leg does not have to uh, come and bring a to the Iyah. But what about a child, according to Bet Shemai? According to Bet Shemai, the child doesn't have to walk because the father can carry him. So it doesn't matter if, a, if the baby has a bad leg. So it can get there anyway. So according to Bet Shemai, if, if there's a baby who has a bad leg, but the father's carrying him, is that exempt because he has a bad leg or ob uh, obligatory because he can get there on his father's shoulders? And how about a blind person, an adult who's blind can, does not have to go, does not have to bring a korban because he's blind. He's not going to be able to get there and we don't have to require him to get help. But a child uh, who is blind, since according to Bet Hillel, the father has to hold his hand anyway. 
um, and according to Bet Shammai, old enough to go on his shoulder. So either way, the child will be able to make it there, even if the child is blind. So do we say it's about the intrinsic quality of being either uh, lame or blind, and that intrinsic quality makes a person exempt? Or is it just a practical matter? Someone who is blind or lame will have difficulty getting there, but a child uh, will not have a child difficulty getting there with his father's help. And so the child would be obligated. That's the question. Now we narrow the question. This says, what kind of case are you talking about? If you're talking about an irreversible disease that a lame person who's not going to get better and a blind person who's never going to, who's not going to see, um, then if an adult who has these, uh, d- these problems is exempt, then for sure a child a child's obligation is certainly much less than an adult. According to the Talmud Bavli, it's only the Rabbanan because of Chinuch. And so this child, is, since it's a permanent blindness or permanent, permanently lame, is never going to grow up and have to bring the Korban. So there's no point in, there's no need to uh, educate them when they are a child. So for sure, in that case, no, they're exempt. But what if it's a child who is only temporarily temporarily lame, broke his leg, but he's going to get better, or he had some kind of eye, something or other, and he's, he's going to be fine uh, later on. So then, we, you, on the one hand, we still have to educate the child because he's going to grow up and he's going to be healthy and he will have to go. And when, as a child, the father is helping him anyway. So, so you could say that he's obligated or the other side, which is what we're going to uh, conclude, is that right now they have the same disease that an adult would have. And just like an adult is exempt, so to the child right now is exempt, even if next year they'll be better. And here's the answer. That's the general rule. Any any person or case or issue that if uh, if it was an adult, he would have to bring the korban ola uh, upon coming to to Jerusalem. Midoraita. So then the child would also have to be uh, was obligated midrabanan because of education. In any case, and that's our case, that if it was an adult, he would be exempt midoraita, and any adult who's lame or blind would be exempt. So that child in such a situation is also exempt, even midrabanan, even though it may only be temporary, and even though the father can help him out, it doesn't matter. The, uh, that's, the, uh, that's the final answer. A uh, person is exempt. Okay, and now we get to the uh, last clause of the Mishnah, which is that how much money uh, it was the minimum to spend on these sacrifices. So Bet Shammai says, the re'eyah, which is in Korban Ola, you have to spend at least two coins. And uh, Korban Chagiga, that's a Shilamim, uh, which the, is mostly in by the owner, that you only have to bring one coin. And uh, Betilel reverses it, and he says the korban re'iyah, which is an ola, that you have to bring just one, and the chagiga, which is shelamim, that one you have to bring two. So let's see the reasoning uh, behind each, and uh, what each would say about the reasoning of the other. Tenora banan. Bet Shemay omerim hareaya sheteches chagiga maas chesef shehareaya ola kula lagavoa ma'shein ken bechagiga. Bet Shemay says we have to honor God. And the re'ayah is in korban ola. It's all going up to heaven. And therefore, we should spend more on the korban ola. 
Whereas Chagiga, we are eating ourselves. So therefore it's lower. If, you, if you're hungry and you want to have more and you want to eat more, that's all up to you. But in terms of a basic minimum, you got to spend more on God than on yourself. That's Bet Shammai. Ve'od, and another thing, Masinu ba'aseret, shiribabahena katuv be'olot yoter mi be'shelamim. Regarding the korbanot that one brings for on Shavuot, with the shtehalechem, if you look at the list, you see that um, you have one bull, two rams, seven sheep um, as burnt offerings, a lot of olot, but only two sheep as peace, as peace offerings, as shelamim. And so that's another example of where when it comes to olot, we bring a lot. Shelamim is a few. We have to honor God more than we honor ourselves. That's Bet Shemai. Bet Hillel Omrim Hare'aya, Ma'ach Chesef, Ba'chagiga Shetechesef, he says the opposite. She'chagiga yeshna lifnei ha'dibor, ma'she'en ken bere'iya. So the Korban Chagiga, the Shelamim, uh, it was was brought even before Matan Torah. Okay, this is going to be a key pasuk that's going to, uh, we're going to be see again and again, all the way till the end of the daf. And this is at the end of Parashat Mishpatim. Now this is actually said after Matan Torah, but this is subject to the rule of En Mukdam um, Muchar, and the, the rabbis say that this uh, this event happened actually before Matan Torah, and this is when the Naarim, right, those uh, uh, young young Kohanim, went and Moshe told them go and make sacrifices. And so they made two two types of offerings, Olot and zevachim that were shelamim. Okay, we're going to get to the olot in a, in a minute. But right now we're focusing just on the shelamim. Those olot we're going to say uh, might have just been olot for korban tamid. So leave them out. And they're not according to this opinion. And it says anyway here that zevachim shelamim. These shelamim, what were they? They were korban chagiga. And there you go. Korban chagiga was given even before matan Torah, Whereas Olat was not given before Matan Torah. This is, the, this is how Bet Hillel is reading that Pasuk. As you can see, that's not the only way you could read the Pasuk. So that's proof number one. And furthermore, when all the Nisi'im gave uh, uh, gifts uh, at the inauguration of the Mishkan, you can see each Nasi, they brought one cow, one ram, and a sheep as burnt offerings. So that's the Olot. But uh, so very few a lot, but they brought two, two, five, and five as shelamim. So they brought many more shelamim than olot. And there you go, shelamim. You see, is more important, or you, know, you should bring more for shelamim than for olot. Um, maybe his reasoning is uh, better to to eat it, you know. And you know, at least is going somewhere. Olot is uh, is going to Hashem, but you know, no one's benefiting from it. Okay, so um, that's the basic reasons now. What do you say about Bet Shammai's reasons? Right? He had good proofs. Okay, the first point of Bet Shammai that Olat uh, uh, is better because it goes up to heaven and we should honor heaven more than ourselves. No, I would tell you the opposite, Bet says. Chagiga is better because 
there's two parties that are eating it. Hashem has part of it. A few, part of it goes on to the Mizbech and the, and the Kohanim also eat part of it. And the rest of it is eaten by the owners. So actually, since it has two different parties eating it, it's even better. You know, in a way, it's like uh, it symbolizes the Berit, right? You come together and we're eating together. We are partaking of Hashem's food. And better that it not, you know, says someone actually gets some sustenance out of it and not just get burnt, burnt totally. And so therefore, Chagiga, you have to spend more on. There's double, two, twice the people eating, right? When you go to that fancy restaurant, you get the steak for two, right? You spend extra on it because two people eating it. And you brought a proof from Shavuot, where you have more Olot and Shelamim. Yeah, but Shavuot, that's a communal uh, sacrifice. And that's not similar to this one. This one is a Kolban Yachid. Every person that comes on pilgrimage is bringing these Korbanot. And so we should compare an individual Korban with another individual Korban. That's the Nisi'im. Those were individual Korbanim. Korbanot. And we're not, we should not compare the individual one from a communal one, which is Shavuot. So that's why I'd rather compare it to the Nisim rather than Shavuot. Okay, Betilel shows that he's, uh, his arguments are better. All right, we'll turn to Bet Shammai, let him get a chance of for a rebuttal. Bet Shammai, my tamala amri ke Bet Shilel, teka amar chagiga adif adeshna lifne hadibur, rayana meyeshna lifne hadibur. The point, not point number one that you made, that there was a korban shelamim, uh, which is with Chagiga. Uh, that's better because that was done before Matan Torah. Actually, that pasuk says, Vayalu Olot. Olot refers to Olat Re'iyah. And that was also done before the Dibur. You conveniently left out those words. I'd rather compare the Korbanot of the pilgrim to Shavuot because Shavuot is true for all generations, all future generations, as long as there is a Mishkan or Bet Mikdash, you're going to bring them. And so a pilgrimage also, as long as Bet Mikdash, people are going to bring them. It applies long term. And I'm not going to bring it from the Nisi'im. That was a one-time event. The one time, the inauguration of the Mishkan, the Nisi'im gave gifts. And that's it. That's never again. So I'm not going to compare something that was only a one-time event to something that happens in all generations. Good. And now we understand the reasoning for Bet Hillel and Bet Shammai, uh, their proofs, and why they prefer their proofs over the other proofs. Now, Bet Hillel, Okay, now back to that pasuk, which was uh, really the crux of the matter. Um, since it does say at the end of the pasuk, fine, everyone agrees that the shalamim here refers to korban chagiga. Why, why are they bringing korban, uh, korban chagiga anyway? Uh, well, this is Matan Torah. So number one, Midrash associates Matan Torah with Shavuot, so it was actually a holiday. Uh, now, even though they didn't have a Mishkan yet, they didn't build it yet, um, but Ma'amad Sinai is a theophany, right? If the whole point is to come, you're going to come and see the face of God regarding uh, uh, Matan Torah in Devarim Pereke. It says, Panim Bifanim. Uh, so certainly this would uh, qualify um, as uh, seeing the face of God. And so uh, even though um, there's no Ohel Mo'ed yet and uh, there was no holidays uh, that were established yet, uh, nevertheless, um, this uh, does uh, fit all the criteria of 
what would be, well, will become Shavuot and the holidays and uh, experiencing a, revela- a re- revelation, uh, seeing the holiness of God. Okay, so therefore, everyone agrees that this pasuk, shalamim, shalamim refers to um, uh, shalamim of Chagiga. However, the first half of the pasuk, bayalu olot, Right, um, uh, that means it's a good point. So that's how come Betilel is ignoring those words? And here's the answer that Allah was not it was Allah for the regular Tamid offering that every morning, every afternoon, you have to bring a, a Korban Tamid. That's what the Olot were over there. Okay. And Bet Shemai says, no, the Ola in this Pasuk is referring to Ola Tri'iyah. So that's the crux of the Machloket. What is the Ola in this Pasuk? Amada Baye. Bet Shemai, okay, that's, uh, that concludes this section of, uh, of uh, which, uh, which one you need more, Betil Bet Shemai. And now we get to the final question. Were there Ola Tri'iyah at Har Sinai? We're going to three, see three opinions that say yes. And three opinions that say no. We already know that Betilel and Bet Shammai, uh, what they what they hold. And now we're going to see others that line up on one side or the other of this machloket. So Bet Shammai, and it says here to be El Azad in the printed edition. However, if we look in the probably. However, if you look in the manuscript, you'll see that only in the printed editions does it see does it say El Azar. In every manuscript, it says it'd be Eliezer, 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 uh, except for one, Munich 95, but the other ones, Eliezer, have all, all have Eliezer. Um, and uh, to be Eliezer means to be Eliezer ben Hurkinos. And that is not a coincidence, right? Rabbi Eliezer is a Shamuti. He is a follower of Bet Shammai. So it makes sense that Rabbi Eliezer would line up with Bet Shammai. Uh, also, Rabbi Yoshua, Rabbi Ishmael, uh, the uh, contemporary of Rabbi Akiva, and Rabbi Ishmael is also known to follow a more Peshat, more Peshat understanding of the Pesukim, as opposed to Rabbi Akiva, who's more creative in his Derasha. So he's also, in some way, part of the old school, not as much as Rabbi Eliezer Bet Shammai, but somewhat. So it makes sense, actually, to put them together. Uh, we're going to see by the end of the daf, we're going to actually take out a Bishmael. But it's interesting that the Gemara is trying to put him in. Uh, you know, it's uh, characterizing these as uh, those who follow some of the old traditions associated with Beth Shammai. Okay. They all think that that, that pasuk, when it says Vayalu Olot, is referring to Olat Re'iyah. And yes, in fact, they brought Olat Re'iyah even before Matan Torah. And that shows that it's really important. And that's why he says you have to bring double the amount. And they all agree with Bet Shammai. Bet Hilel, Ve'ribi Akiva, Ve'ribi Yoseh HaGalili, Kulehu Sevi'ralehu, and these other three follow Betilel, and they say, no, that Vayalu Olot, that said in Parashat Mishpatim, is referring to Korban Tamid. And in fact, they did not bring Olat Re'iyah at that time. Okay, and so now we're going to go through each one and uh, bring a source. Bet Shammai had Damaran. Bet Shammai, we already, t- we already gave you the source. Rabbi Ishmael de Tanya. Rabbi 
Okay, this Braita is essential and has far-reaching consequences about how to read laws in the Torah in general. Uh, so remember this, uh, remember this source. Uh, Rabbi Ishmael, he's the one that says that said Dibra Torah Kirshon Ben Adam, right? And when it says a double language like Aser Ta Aser, says that's just the way of normal language. Don't don't worry about it. Torah uses normal human syntax. And this goes along with the same idea that many laws are repeated. You find the same law said in Sefer Shemot, and then again in Bayikra, again in Devarim. All right, and uh, each time is a little different. It adds something, it has something else that doesn't say. What do we do with these doublings of laws? Rabbi Ishmael says all the generalities were said at Har Sinai, only the generalities. And then, and Ohal Moed, during the 40 years of the desert, then um, Hashem spoke, continued to speak to Moshe in an ongoing revelation and gave him more and more details that Moshe then taught B'nai Israel. So therefore, when you see uh, in, at Har Sinai, in, in these parashiyot, in, uh, um, uh, in Kitisa, in Mishpatim, whatever is said here in Sefer Shemot, that was, that's all that was said, general things. And then if you find something else that's uh, said in B'midbar Devarim, that it means it's a detail that was not said at Har Sinai, but rather only revealed later on. And that's why it's not a doubling, uh, because it only says it once. For, for that reason, if you see something repeated in the earlier book and a later book, it's actually not a repetition, right? It's there to, to add more details that were never said before. Rabbi Akiva, however, says no. All the generalities and details of every single one of the 613 misfots were all given to Moshe at Har Sinai. Moshe maybe didn't say or repeat all of them to B'nai Israel, so that's we don't hear about them, but Moshe got them all. And then they were repeated again in Al Mu'ed throughout the 40 years, and they were repeated again at Adavot Ma'av. You want to repeat them, he has to want to clarify them for B'nai Israel. Um, but in fact, they were all given there, and therefore, all everything was known at Har Sinai. All right, we're not going to get into all of the implications of this machloket, except for how it applies here. If you think that um, the Olah, uh, now we're going to for uh, according to the Bishmael, the Ola that was done in um, at, before Matan, actually, you've seen before Matan Torah, not even there, but at Har Sinai was a Ola Tamid. Hold on, they didn't yet know the laws about Hefshet and Nituach, about the skinning and cutting. Well, before you bring the Korban Tamid, you have to skin it, cut it a certain way, and only then do it. All those laws are only said later in Sefer Vayikra. So they weren't, they weren't yet known at the time of Matan Torah. If they weren't known, they couldn't have done them. If they, if, they if they didn't do those laws, is it possible that they did a Korban Tamid without doing those that essential Avodah? It's an essential Avodah. They couldn't have done it. So since they didn't know the law, that, that's a proof that they did not do Korban Tamid. And therefore, according to Bishmael, they did not do Korban Tamid. That would have to be a Olat in that Pasuk. Okay, we're actually going to reverse this in a few minutes, but right now, that's Bishmael. Rabbi Eliezer de Tanya, how do we know that he agrees with Bet Shemai? Says Olat Tamid Hasuya Bahar Sinai. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Maaseha Nehru Besinai, he atzma lo kareba. In the manuscripts, every time it says his name, it's always Rabbi Eliezer. So, so I'm, I'm following the manuscripts. And he says, it's um, uh, had a, what the instructions of how to do it 
were mentioned at Har Sinai, but the, the Korban Tamid was not started at Har Sinai just yet. That's Abelia's opinion. And so you see, he says pretty explicitly that no, Korban Tamid was not done at Har Sinai, even though it says Hasuyab Har Sinai, it doesn't mean literally Hasuya. It means that they were told that eventually they're going to have to start doing it once they have an Ohal Mo'ed uh, set up, and then, and then, they'll, then they'll do it after that. Rabbi Akiva Omer, Kareba Veshuv Lo Paska. Rabbi Akiva disagrees with Rabbi Eliezer. Uh, ben Hurkenos, he says, yes, it was offered, Korban Tamid was offered right away, and it never stopped, not one day since then. Ela Ma Ani Makema Zevachim Umilcha Higashtem Li Bamidbar Arbim Shana Bet Yisrael. Ah, according to Rabbi Akiva, if in fact they, they did Korban Tamid from the time of Matan Torah, all the way through the desert, every single day, never missed a day. Well, then, how do you explain the Pasuk in Amos? Amos says, I don't want your korbanot. Stop bringing them to me. Did, did you bring me korbanot during the 40 years of the desert? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no, you didn't bring them to me. So you see that that's not essential to me. I don't really want them. That's not essential to the Berit. Okay, this is one of the many Pesukim and the Nevi'im that say Hashem is not does not uh, need sacrifices, and that's not the main thing. And um, uh, all these pesukim are very troubling for the rabbis and the commentators because uh, they, uh, you know, like uh, even though the nevim like ha- they can't say strongly enough, I don't want the korbanot. But nevertheless, we see the korbanot are so important uh, in the Torah and later on. So what does this mean? Um, so now we're going to have to. Rabbi Akiva is going to have to explain it because if you take it literally, that they did not never bore, they did not bring korbanot. Korban Tamid in the 40 years, Yubekiva says they did bring it every day. So we do have to reconcile it. And here's the reconciliation. Oh, only the tribe of Levi, they did not do Avodazara. They were not part of the uh, golden calf. And so they brought the Korban Tamid. Uh, in other words, um, they, uh, usually Korban Tamid was taken from Machasita Shekel. Everybody contributes to it. Um, but after once they did ma, uh, uh, the, the golden calf, so all those who were involved in that sin were basically like excommunicated and said, I don't want, that's it. I don't want your, your sacrifices. And they were not, they could not, would not uh, contribute to the Korban Tamid, except for the tribe of Levi, they did not take part in uh, Egel HaZahav, and they did not do Avodah Zarah, and therefore they uh, were able and willing to contribute to the Korban Tamid. And so when Amos said, uh, did you all, all B'nai Sel, did you all bring Korban Tamid in the 40 years? The answer is no, because only Shevet Levi did. But Rabbi Akiva is also right, because in fact, uh, Korban Tamid was brought by somebody all 40 years, just not by everybody. All right, and so now we saw that. Um, uh, so that uh, now we get to the other side, the three that agree with Betilel. Betilel hadamaran. Betilel brought his proof already. We happen to bring it just now. We brought it because we were mentioning Rabbi Eliezer, and Akiva is mentioned in the same baraita. So we know his opinion already that yes, Korban Tamid was brought at Har Sinai, and finally Rabbi Yosef Galili, the Tanya, Rabbi Yosef Galili, Omer. Uh, Our commanded three commandments when they come 
for the holiday. Uh, that is the the and the Simcha. And then he goes on and he says, Yes, Shen Bishtehen, Shen Bishtehen, Shen Bishtehen. And this Braita Rabbi continues to teach that each one has something unique. There's something about Riyah that's not true of the others. There's something about Korban Chaygan, not true of the other two. And there's something special about Simcha that's not uh, true of the others. What are they? Yes, Shen Bishtehen, Ula, Kula, Mashen Ken Bishtehen, Korban is an Ola, it's all burnt, and whereas the others are Shelamim. That's true. Yes, Bachagiga, Mashen Bishtehem, Shechaiga, Yeshna, Lifnehadibur, Mashen, Mashen Bishtehem. Here's the key line that's what brought this whole thing. Uh, that the Chagiga um, uh, is special, and that the uh, Chagiga was brought even before Matan Torah, whereas the other two, Simcha and Olat Re'iyah, were not brought before Matan Torah. So there you go. Well, if they didn't bring that, if that Ola was not Olat Re'iyah, then what, what did they bring when it says Vayalu Olot? Must be Korban Tamid. Okay, that's his proof. Yes, Bishimcha, Mashen Bishtehen, Mashen Simcha, Nohegat Banashim, Banashim, Mashen Ken Bishtehen. And there's also something special regarding the Simcha, because the Korban, the Shalme Simcha applies to men and women, not so with the other two, two that are only applied to men. And so this actually goes back to the beginning of the daf today that women are also obligated to be happy on the holiday. And how do you be happy? Well, you have to be, you come and you bring a nice meal and you bring meat and you make a barbecue and you invite everybody and eat together. And so women are obligated in Shalmei Simcha. All right. Now we saw the three on each side. We're going to now actually exclude the Bishmael. We put him in, but you know what? He doesn't belong. How come you assume that the Bishmael is like Bet Shammai? You know, uh, for the latest God, they don't want to be like Bet Shammai. So we're trying to save, uh, save him. Well, we were under the assumption that Well, our, our line of reasoning, reasoning went that there can't be anything, if you think that they brought a Ola, uh, that the Ola that they brought is Ola Tamid, can it be that at first they did a Ola Tamid without skinning and cutting up the animal properly. And they didn't have the laws yet. They didn't know the laws because they weren't given at Hasinai. They were only given later. And so it's impossible. They did Korban Tamid without all the procedures. And therefore, that's what we assumed before. The Bishmael must follow Bet Shammai that they didn't do Korban Tamid at all. Better say they didn't do it at all than to say that they did it incorrectly. Uh, but that's not true. This assumption is not true. But how to be Yosei Galili? We happen to mention him since we mentioned. Now we mentioned him. Here's another thing that he says: Yosei who's on the list of Bet and he said that even though yes, they brought an Olat Tamid. They didn't do the full system at that time. They did not do the skinning and the cutting, right? Because uh, he, so he would agree that if they could bring a korban tamid, not fully, because they didn't have a, they didn't have mishkan yet, so they didn't do the whole thing. Um, and so he, and he agrees with betilel. Well, once I know that, this undermines the reason why we put Rabbi Ishmael in that category. Uh, now, how do we know that 
Um, the Biosegui says the one, the Korban, that they, the Ola that they brought in the desert, they didn't do skinning because uh, that's only required once you have a Ohol Moed. You need the whole structure of Ohol Moed so that you have a place that you do that and you skin it and all that. Whereas in, uh, when you're just on the mountain using a temporary Mizbeach, you don't have to do all the procedures. And so since that's true, the Bishmael could easily agree with this reasoning. And he may very well say that they brought, in fact, a korban ola. Uh, the ola that they brought was a korban tamid. And they didn't get all the laws and they didn't know about skinning, but that's okay. You can bring uh, ola without skinning back then. So therefore, let's erase Rabbi Ishmael and take him off the list of Bet Shammai and we can put him up on the list of Bet Hillel. And that way we saved Rabbi Ishmael. Okay, and lastly, the question is, where do you put the atnach in this pasuk? Uh, when it says uh, that the center, the, the uh, assistance of B'nai Israel, Vayalu Olot, as you, our, we put the atnach there. Vayalu Olot, that's a separate thing. And it doesn't say what type of animal, but it could be any animal. Maybe they brought kevasim. See, this would be important because if it's a korban tamid, Korban tamid has to be a keves, has to be a lamb. So therefore, if you make that a separate clause, which it is here, atnach, bayalu olot, and those olot, in parentheses, were kevasim. And now, second half, so the word parim at the end of the pasuk applies only to the shalamim. The shalamim were parim. Uh, could we read it like that? Or the other way to read it is, it's all one long thing. They brought uh, olot and shalamim, and all those olot and all the shalamim were all parim. If you think they're all parim, then you'd have to agree with Bet Shammai because you don't can't. There's no uh, parim could be olat uh, iya. They cannot be a korban tamid. And that's the question. How do you read this pasuk? And we ask. What's the difference? It makes a difference in how we're going. Where we're going to put the ta'amim. Um, back in the times of the Talmud, they didn't have atnach, they didn't have our system, but they had uh, oral tradition about how to read it and where to put the accent, where to put the punctuation. So um, according to the way we have it, olot is the middle, and that's a separate thing. Parim has to do with shalamim. If you would read it otherwise, then you'd have to take the atnach and move it forwards and put it maybe on the word shalamim, right? They brought olot and shalamim, and both of those were lahashem parim. Uh, and so it would make a difference in how we punctuate how we how we punctuate the pasuk, and that's one difference. Another difference would be well, what kind of animal was it? If someone even nowadays say I take upon myself a vow that I'm going to bring an ola, the same one that Bnei Israel did in the midbar over there at Har Sinai. Then what would it be? My parim havu or kevasim havu? What would he have to bring? All right, a cow or a sheep? Teko. And we leave this question open-ended. Uh, you can read it both ways. Although 
um, in order to agree with Bet Hillel, we would have to read it the way we do have it with the Atnach in the middle, by Yalu Olot, and those Olot were one type, and then the well, one type of animal, which could be Kevasim, and the rest of the Pasuk was the Shalamim, and those Shalamim were in fact Parim, and so this is a just absolutely fantastic daf, uh, where we learned that very important principle, the difference between Abi Akiva and Abi Ishmael, about the repetitions of laws throughout the Torah, and also the way uh, punctuation, just where you put an Atnach can make a huge uh, difference in many aspects of halacha, and that's why we should uh, make sure to learn learn the ta'amim first before we go and do anything else. Baruch Adonai Amen v'Amen.